That's a groovy button. What does it say? Hey, it's just what the world needed. Another Monkeys podcast. Well, I'm Al Bigley. And I'm Alan Williams. And it's time for, uh, yeah, we got to come up with a name. The Texas um, uh, Home Companion. Uh, save the Texas Parks. Whales in the Forest. Uh, uh, home Companion. Uh, save uh, the, the, the Prairie the Home prairie chicken, chicken People, the Chicken and Waffles. and the Save the Texas Prairie Chicken. Save the, uh, make mine save, bring the, uh, the waffle iron with the chicken and the, the base, the turkey. And, uh, it's the, you know, it's the same, the, 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 the big time uh, prairie, prairie uh, the home, home, home fires burning. Save the Texas prairie chicken. Save, it's, uh, it's, um, it can be something like save the, uh, you know, the, the, the thing, the, the eagle, the wing. Save the Texas prairie chicken. the wings and it's the, it's save the Texas prairie chicken. I can't think of this bulb hanging over my head. I got it! The Texas Prairie Chicken Home Companion. Isn't that dumb? Um, Al. Yes. Who dug up that relic out of the garbage pile? Don't look at me. Wasn't my idea. Oh yeah, it was kind of my idea. Well, with that retro intro, we welcome you to the celebration of the third anniversary of the Texas Prairie Chicken Home Companion Monkeys Podcast. How about them apples? Big episode twenty-five. They said we couldn't do it. We did it anyway. That's right. For those of you joining us for the first time, welcome to the cult. I am Alan. Get it with a heater, Williams. And this is Al, something like it, lukewarm bigly. <laughs> There's a reason for those specific nicknames, but we'll get to that in a little while. I can still tease with the best of them. Al, it seems like yes. it's been forever since we've done this. Well, it has been forever. We had some uh, real life issues come up. Oh, yeah. but, uh, but you can't keep us away. and uh, They tried. Trust us. Of course, we keep in touch with our fans on our fabulous Facebook page, and there's been tons of activity there. Thank you, guys. Yeah. Uh, although, uh, Jamie Telgren, uh, the meme of Judge Judy tapping her watch. Clock watcher. Clock watch. Yeah, you know. Um, We're going as fast as we can. That's right. And you got to remember, at our advanced ages, wait, wait, oh, speak for one second. Oh, yeah. I can only record like one podcast a year now. That's right. So we hope you've missed us. We've missed you. That's right. So, uh, can you believe it's been three years, Palamine? It's been uh, a great three years, and uh, never thought this would go as far as it did and no. create the reaction it did. Absolutely. Hey, they like us. They really like us. I'm too young to know that reference. Uh, I know. You know, what if I hold up Union? No, it's the same movie, but... Why you keep talking about uh, Aunt May? That's right. The yeah. former Aunt May. Yeah. <laughs> they get younger and younger. Yeah, so... But uh, we have a very interesting podcast for us today. Um, we're going to finally announce our contest winner from our last episode. That's right. We're going to talk about a uh, road trip to Knoxville last August. <laughs> And we will be starting a brand new topic uh, that will con- that will go over multi episodes. Road trip to Knoxville wasn't that a Mickey Dolan song? No, that was "We're Off on the Road to Knoxville." That was the road picture with Bing Crosby and Bob Hope that they never talk about. Oh, I'm thinking of "Last Train to Knoxville." <laughs> last, last. Uh, if I ever get to Knoxville, by the time I get to Knoxville, they'll be laughing. Lake Glenn Campbell reference there. Uh, I've missed doing this, man. I really have. Uh, we have another remix coming up. And then uh, not only uh, in our second topic, we will have an interview that we'll discuss. And then also the first part of an interview 
that I never thought we would get. They came out of the blue, and uh, I'll explain that in a little bit. So, I want to take a moment to thank everyone again on our page, Facebook page. You're welcome, Al. And uh, you too. <laughs> and thanks also for the great response to my remixes. I've been uh, putting them. I've been pairing them with video and putting them on YouTube. Uh, because uh, that way SoundCloud doesn't yank them. <coughs> and it's a way for more people to see these and hear these and be exposed to them. Thanks for the great response. And also, um, your response, uh, we just, of course, had Halloween. This is early November that we're recording this, folks. Thanks again for revisiting our Ron Masak interview, our Halloween 2017 special. That's right. You realize the last time I did this, New York went black. One of my beautiful fake, fake back What the dumb Mummy man. <laughs> no, thanks for that. We, that's one of our favorite episodes. It is indeed. And, uh, not sure, Rob, where that music is coming from. Maybe it's... Uh, it could be it's, a phone. It's the By Be- the way. It's the Beatles podcast uh, right. chiming in again. Right. By the way, uh, for those of you that are actually hearing that, uh, we want to give a big shout out to our good buddies at the Trail House restaurant in Indian Trail, North Carolina, mm. allowing us to invade their back room to podcast again. Well, I want to give another shout out to the people that reacted favorably also to uh, some of my recent blog posts. As you know, there is a companion blog in addition to our Facebook page that goes with this podcast. Everything doesn't have to be just audio, there's visual components. And I recently compared a monkey's script to his actual finished telecast episode. In this case, I had the script to the picture frame, mm-hmm. the shooting script. And I simply sat and watched it online and made some notes. And then I, of course, uh, created a blog post where we talked about the many differences. And uh, In, that, other, words, you, in other words, you tried to be Melanie, right? Almost. <laughs> no, one, no one can top Melanie. That's and true. Let me recommend her book again if you're a fan of Monkey the Magic. If you're a fan of the series, again, the visual side of things, you won't find a better book that examines the series and some of the uh, the things you never thought about as a longtime watcher. All but, those, th- yeah. but thanks again for your participation, your participation on the uh, Facebook page and the blog page. And what is the address for that blog page again, Alan? TPCH. CMPMonkeysCast.blogspot.com. TCP, man. TCB, baby. TCB. We can leave a space here if I can insert the actual address later. TPCHCMonkeysCast.blogspot.com. Easy for you to say. That's it. I don't have a BLT, half a BLT sandwich in my mouth. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that's right. Even podcasters have to eat. All right, so uh, it's interesting, you know, when we first started, we were barely lucky to have like 20 or twenty or 30 members in a group. Mm. Last time I checked, we were at 784, mm. which is incredible. A little podcast like us. And 4,000 listens to some of the episodes? Oh, yeah. yeah so. Amazing. But it's, yeah, and we have you guys to thank for that. And, you know, the fact that you've embraced us, you've laughed at us, you've laughed with us. Uh, and enjoyed what we do uh, means an awful lot. So from yes, the bottom thank of my you very heart, much. we thank you. So. Checks are in the mail. That's right. Speaking of checks in the mail, you know what we need to do right now? What's that? 
We need to. I don't want to hold them in suspense anymore we're, because we're the kind of podcast that just gives, 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 and never we just, takes. We we just give all the time. That's right. We're the gift that keeps on giving. That's right. No, wait a minute. That's herpes. That's true too. Yeah, that's like luggage. That's like concerned. our current administration. Thank you very much, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> a little more ego, he could be president. Yeah. <laughs> See how it all ties together, folks. Was it? Uh, was it Mr. Zero? Yeah, that was that was Devil and Peter Torque. No, uh, card-carrying red shoes. Card-carrying I got you. I got you. So. Peter takes responsibility for the fate of the free world. That's right. And believe me, that dummy would be a whole lot better president than the dummy we got. But that's another story from another time. Isn't that right, Christian? No letters. All right, so. No, you're supposed to make people wait to the end of the episode so they listen to the entire thing. Aw, hell no. They've been put off for too long. Yeah, it's it's been too long. All right, so. You have. Well, tell them, refresh our memories. What? What was the uh, contest criteria? Remember last episode we covered that never-to-be-forgotten 1969 TV special? Do you mean you, you mean you mean the the Julie uh, the Brian uh, Brian Auger and the, the Trinity book, special yep, featuring yep. four guys? Yeah. Uh, okay, that guy. Dickie Suds and, and Billy. Cl- and Dickie doing the don'ts. Ralph, yes. <laughs> yeah. Um. Somebody's phone's over there and it keeps ringing. I don't know who that is. Folks, that was. This is Alan and Al, and our waitress is... Allie! Can you believe it? Say hi, Allie. Here, that was her. Uh, thank you. Delivering us our food in so, a timely manner. We asked that uh, after we discussed 33 and a third, Last episode. Last episode. Number 24. That's right. Uh, that was done in August 1942. Yes, it was. Um, we asked you for your good, bad, and ugly... Uh, why, why do you look at me when you say that last part? Quite frankly, sir, you're beginning to bore me. Is that Jack Nicholson or no, that was Get Off My Lawn? Damn. Kids. You know, okay, boomer. That was my abortive attempt at Clint Eastwood. You got a really squint. Mr. Magoo levels of squinting. Bye, Jarn. I've got the money to buy, Jarn. Sounds like the guy from Gilligan's Island. Oh, love it. Really? What would ever give you that idea? So you right. guys, you guys came to the. Uh, you stepped the, up to the mission. Should guns, you decide to accept it? Guns blazing, and you uh, you told us your thoughts on thirty three and a third, which kind of mirrored ours. I like the last thought we got, the last uh, post, and again, this is on our blog page right after, right underneath the episode posting. Yep. Thomas Ponzio said nothing worked. Terrible, terrible ninety minutes. Well, he's honest. Well, he doesn't beat around the bush, that's for sure. Joe Russo chimed in with, I conjure thee. And Joe, uh, the police showed up at your door later that night. I'm sorry, I took the blame for that one. So. Somebody named Jamie Telgren did a lot of commenting. That! I don't know. This woman has no life, but we love her. Uh, wait a minute, actually, Jamie's starring in a new television show that they're producing, uh, Chasing Bernie Sanders. There you go. <laughs> We love you. I love Bernie. We love you. We love you, Frodo Screen. All right, so let's see what we got here. Uh, I'll be inserting the Jeopardy theme here. uh, My our our good friend Sherry Mabry. Uh, I love the I'm a Believer version. Sans Julie Driscoll. Now it's kind of hard to get that voice out of your head. Now Mickey, for the rest of 1969, would perform I'm a Believer in that exact same style without Julie. Yep. So if you want to hear that, I'm sure there are clips from their Tonight Show. Mm-hmm. Appearance where they do the, the same version. Yep. So your wish has been fulfilled. Mickey performed it the following year mm-hmm. in that bluesy manner without 
the vocal accompaniment the vocal, vocal accoutrements Miss Driscoll yeah uh, is it my least favorite one is I Go Ape it's just embarrassing I like I Go Ape the song and, and then uh, I love Denise McCabe responded to Sherry's comment Hoppa Chupa Hoppa Hoppa Chupa my favorite gum that was uh, that was Ape for get me out of here right uh, let's see the guys had to be saying and thinking when they were in those chimp suits, this is a step up? Yeah, really. Uh, Morgan Downey uh, Petcha says, I may be biased, but I really like Peter's rendition of I Privy. Mm. Uh, I love that he got to somewhat have a big, have a bigger role than in other Monkey Ventures. Who said that? Uh, Morgan Downey Petcha. Oh, I love him as Iron Man. He's great. <laughs> That's funny. I thought she was Tesla. Uh, uh, Miss Tesla? Uh, Pepper Potts. Miss Tess Booker! Which Iron Man movies are you watching? I can't watch that because it's it's one of Paltrow. Please. Okay. Can't stand it. But that's okay. Alright. Mm. Uh, let's see. Address all letters to Alan Williams. Mm-hmm. P.O. Box. IDC. <laughs> uh, something I can't deal with is the cheesy costumes and some of the choreography was lame. We have to agree. Yeah. And of course, Jamie. You guys cracked me up. Mm. Uh, about and, uh, now, to be fair, the special was done a bit on the fly because of the uh, yeah because of the right strike is the, the union strike right yeah so it has that look. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so in looking at these, do you have a specific? I kind of uh, like Iron Man's comment. Iron Man's comment. Yeah, we just talked about it. Oh, Iron Maiden. You mean Morgan Downey? Right. Okay. So, Morgan Downey pitch you. Guess what? You've won our big prize package. You betcha. Betcha. Not a good rhyme. Not a good rhyme. You betcha. Betcha. Well, congratulations, Morgan. If you will, will be Al will be reaching out to message you to get your address and everything. Right. And he will. Uh, load up your uh, load up the box and send it to you. There's a lot of good stuff in there. Vintage monkeys magazines, a T-shirt, a Two. rare Davy poster, action figures, yep. a comic book featuring. Gosh, now I'm forgetting. Mickey did the voice. The Funky Phantom. Right. right. Mickey did the voice of Scooter or Suds. I'm kidding. Right. Uh, Even but, that's been added. What more could you ask for? A CD of uh, tribute songs. Now. I will be fortunate. Fortunately for you, Morgan, the schmuck in the blue and white striped shirt and the hat will not be accompanying those prizes. Well, now that we've got the contest winner out of the way, um, it is really a good time to be a monkeys fan. To be perfectly honest with you, I am absolutely shocked at all of the music that's coming out, especially you know. As hard as Andrew has worked to give us all stuff out of the monkey's vault, Ian Lee at 7A Records has just been as strong. I mean, he's got two brand new releases that have just come out. And What's the label again? 7A. What number was that? 7A. Oh, okay. Yes, I agree with you. Uh, if you're not aware of what he has uh, already set forth, I mean, he's on a Mickey solo disc. This, yeah, the, the MGM collection. Uh, and now it's Davy's turn. Mm-hmm. 
it's all, uh, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> we take a little pause there. Someone was waving at us from afar. How do you, uh, yeah, no. Um, Look, a squirrel. <laughs> Moose and squirrel. But well, um, it's great stuff. 7A Records, um, some of the rarest stuff that we've, you know, we've had a little bit of this on bootlegs we traded over the years, all of us, but to have it so lovingly cleaned up and re presented. And you know, we, the, the, the Zigzag concert with uh, Nez, and Rez, Nez and Red is out there on another label. That's true. But this may be the coolest one yet, and that is the Cosmic Partners CD. Right. Which is Nez, Red, and a couple other guys. And I read Fred Velez's review for it. Wait, has... Ned, Fred, Red, <laughs> Nez, yes. Nez, Frodo, uh, uh, Bafo, Gandalf, Aragorn. All right, let's go again. Right. Beep. So yeah, it's Nez, Red Rhodes, and uh, a couple other guys playing drums and bass guitar. Right. And Fred Velez, our super fan recently posted a review that I read and it is really cool mm -hmm. it's just you know it's it looks very interesting indeed it does so fans avail yourself of these products the more we buy the more they keep coming up with that's right so support your local monkey supplier now uh, I want to plug something real quick that mm -hmm. I took part in uh, not that little uh, picnic out at the nude camp no no okay I don't want to see any more pictures. Thank, Thank you. you. Um, as you know, there is a group out there on Facebook called the Video Three Video Ranch 3D Nez Book Discussion Group, and it's basically Nez and Melody Acres. Uh, and a can of Jif peanut butter. Oh yeah! Hold and, it. Uh, Hold it. Yeah. And. Uh, they just, they just got done finishing a uh, discussion of the American gene. And last Sunday, uh, which would have been, according mm. to my calculations... Let's see, the sun's about right here, right now. would have been the 3rd. That's right, November 3rd. Um, they started discussing Infinite Tuesdays. And if you like, if you want the opportunity... Now, I will tell you, it got a little, it got a little stale. It got a little out of control because people were asking non-book related questions and i understand that the reason that you know when you have an opportunity to talk to nez what happened to the hat yeah really but what was davy really like if you've read infinite tuesdays and you like to get nez's input on it uh i encourage you to join the group and keep an eye out for the uh the next we did the preface in chapter one mm -hmm. and i actually got one of my questions answered by nez and he thought it was a very you know it was a very good one uh, because I asked him about that night at the Troubadour, he was he said he was suffering. You know, it was very uh, ill mentally, and I mm. don't mean mentally, just very depressed, very down. Because in a weird place. Yeah, he was in a very bad place at the time. And after that, and I asked him to compare that with the high lonesome that he talked about later in the book, right before uh, uh, the prison was done. And uh, and he's right. He pointed out to me that there are two different things. You're talking about depression versus be feeling alone, which is what the high lonesome is all about. So, but he he actually liked the question. So, I'll continue to try to ask. Um, there were some other questions that I tried to get through, but you know, just so wait, Mike answered your question. That's why you haven't been answering my calls for the past two weeks. Oh yeah, my ego just <sighs> went through the roof. Yeah, right. Uh huh. Yeah. Well, that's a good segue into our next segment. A good mm -hmm. segue. Yep. So, like I said, I recommend that it's the Video Ranch 3D Nez Book Discussion Group, something along that line. So, 
Great stuff all speaking, around. Speaking of Nishwash and MD. Nishwash? Yes. Um, I got to the opportunity to go to the Fanboy Expo in Knoxville in August. Is this why I'm playing the music I'm playing behind us right now? Yes. An actual non-monkeys cut? That's right. On the road again. But yeah, um... Tell us about that. This is your second encounter. Believe yes. Going on the road mm-hmm. to meet the great man himself. Yep. And, um... And I gotta admit, I did it because Jody's urging. Because taking what she says into account, we have to go see them now. We have... If, you know, if there's... It's just gotta be. You've got to make the effort. Now, Nothing's guaranteed. Jody will have some very interesting information coming up later, and something that was shockingly announced earlier in the week. But uh, I'll let her talk about that. But um, I left at six o'clock in the morning. I left about five thirty in the morning. I want you to discuss every meal, every receipt you receive. Don't leave out. Don't leave out any details, please. Thank Gas- you very much, man. Well, you know I enjoyed it. So, uh, all right, Gas so, mileage, everything. Yeah. Um, so. It's the first time I've been to Knoxville since I was married and the now, exit. Let's be clear. You saw, you did a road trip to see Mike and Mickey earlier no, I went uh, to, last I went, year. I went to Steel City Con to see Nez last Steel year. Steel City, that's right. That's in Pittsburgh. Right. But this was about four hours or less. Oh, yes. So uh, so drove to Knoxville, uh, got there, and uh, those of you that have heard me tell the story about the things I gave to Mickey back in 96, I wanted to try to do something different. So I had uh, a couple of comic books. Al was not available at the time. His, his schedule wouldn't allow him to do it. My ego, you know. Yeah. <laughs> ego hangers. Ego hangers. Got a few ego hangers. Uh, so I uh, commissioned a couple of comic book friends, acquaintances of ours. That's your hang-up, not mine. That's man. right. Um, and I had three sketches made. One for Mickey, one for Mike, and one for Jody, just as a thank you because of everything she's done. So... Um, I had Jody done as Monkey Man. Uh, I had Nez done as the last of the singing cowboys, Tex Nesmith, with a guitar in front of him and two six guns in his hands. And then uh, what was really cool is we all know that Mickey, or those of you that have been around long enough know that Mickey was a fan of the Black Hawk comic book growing up. So I got a picture of him in the circus boy outfit and had uh, a friend of ours draw him riding a tricycle with a Black Hawk captain's hat on, which is the Black Hawk battle cry. And where we where include some of these images, of course, on the accompanying blog blast that goes with this very TPCHCMonkeysCast.blogspot.com. Again, Blood. you don't have to use your imagination all the time. We include visuals That's right. as well as audios. And the cost to you at home, the home listener? Not a single penny. Right. $149.95, but not a single penny. Tear off your house and send it in with six box tops, and you'll receive the greatest hits that Mickey Dolan chilled in the early 70s. That's a different episode. That's right. That was two episodes ago, I think. That's right. But I got there, and uh, one of the things that surprised me was um, the line for Nez was a lot longer. And uh, so I didn't, and it took a while for me to get um, the two sketches because the artist had, the artist was at Fanboy Expo, and he brought them with him because he couldn't get them to me in the mail before he left, so. Uh, but, uh, so what I did was I went and I got in Mickey's line first. And he was very gracious. He was, uh, listened. Uh, he did tell me that uh, 
I mentioned the gift that I gave him in 96, which was uh, a VHS tape of a cliffhanger serial that his father had done three months after he was born. And I gave him a Black Hawk comic book at that same 1996 meet and greet. That's right. And Mickey said that he still had that VHS. Excellent. I said, I started to bring you a DVD, but I figured you already had one. He says, yeah, I do. So I gave him the, uh, I presented him the drawing, and he just went, wow. Mm. Because it's an artist we both know, Bud Root, who's very, very detail-oriented and very clean, very crisp with his artwork. So. Bud does a comic book of his own creation. He's done it for decades now. Cavewoman! It's called Cavewoman. Look it up. Bud Root. R-O-T-R-B-U-D-D-R-O-O-T. Plug. But um, he really enjoyed it. And then I went back and, and, and told him the, uh, I told him the Ishka Bibble story. He didn't remember it. And we've discussed that on a previous episode. That's right. That would be episode number one, episode number... We revisited stuff. So. I'll be yelling it in post right here. Yeah, yeah. That's episode number three. Yeah, he, uh, I, I, I didn't buy anything to really sign, but uh, I did buy a drum hit, and I got him to write Ishkabibble Lives. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's the one monkey souvenir I now own. So uh, after talking with Mickey, um, and I really forgot to ask him the one question I wanted to, which was, when are we? When and if are we ever going to hear some of your solo stuff in concert? And it really, I it was, you know, I, I hadn't seen Mickey since two thousand, uh, since it was since the the fiftieth anniversary tour, but okay. not really that close and, and upfront, with, uh, up close and personal with. So, shook his hand. He enjoyed it. Um, went back. I, I picked up the two. Jody nearly soiled her doilies when she saw her picture, her, her sketch. And she loved it. It was, it was beautiful. I had her done as Monkey uh, monkey Man. She was like in a, she was like in flight. Okay. So. Now she, please plug that artist too. Uh, D. Michael Watkins is his name. D.W. Watkins? Yeah, D.W. Watkins. Uh, Michael is a, a local artist in the Charlotte area. He does a lot of the local shows. Um, and he goes to region. He goes. To, he goes to shows like you do, but uh, you know, he's uh, except he doesn't wear tights. Bro. Except he, yeah, no, he does wear. He does wear uh, cowboy hats. Okay. But he's a really cool guy. He loved. He was a monkeys fan, so he loved doing this. So, I get to Ned's. Start talking to him. We have a conversation, and uh, he loved his. He thought it was really cool. He thought I wanted him to sign it. I said, um, No, man, this is yours. Now, give that artist a shout-out. It was D. Michael Watkins. Oh, that's right. D, yeah, Michael For did, Jody and Michael. Michael did, yeah, Michael did Jody's and Nizzis. I see, thank you. So, but he was taken aback by it because I had him draw, um, I just wanted him to draw the nudie hat. But he was so, uh, I showed him, the, the picture I gave him was for reference, had him in the nudie suit. So he went back, got a couple other pictures, and drew him in the nudie suit wow. on a horse with the guitar and the guns. And he just, he was, he would loved it. Um... I did ask him about FNB Redux. If we, what we, he says, yeah, we're going back on the road, yeah. And I must admit, I got a, I got a, cat, a sidebar here. I'm very disappointed with the concert venues in our area, to be perfectly blunt. Because I went to four different venues, multiple emails, and got no interest in getting Nez and FNB Redux here in the area, hmm. which is very disappointing. And uh, those of you that live in the Charlotte area or are familiar with the Charlotte area, the 50th anniversary tour uh, was held at a venue called the Blumenthal Performing Arts Center, which is about a three, 
three to five thousand seat. I think it's a three thousand seat arena. I'm wearing my souvenir shirt from that show now. Yep. Uh, and oh, by the way, the only reason I got to go to this show was because of my podcast partner and his wife's generosity. Because I was uh, out of work at the time. And he was, was on the street begging. Totally yeah. broke, and no way that's nice. Um, but they were kind of take me to dinner and take me to the show. So. Um, they sound like lovely people. They certainly couldn't you just die. Oh. All right, be real. Yes. Um, all right, be real. Yep. Oy rip, rip. Oy vey. Oy vey. But, um, you know, and uh, the person that responded from the Blumenthal said they actually lost money on that 96 show, or that 2016 show, and were not interested in it. So it's like, I, that, to be perfectly honest, that pissed me off. Mm. But... You know, I tried everything from a 300-seat venue to a 1,200-seat venue. Couldn't get any interest whatsoever. Wow. So, I'm sorry, Nez. I tried. I really did. Um, but, uh... And it's a shame they have to go on past statistics. Because mm-hmm. so many things can affect a show's attendance. Sure. The publicity it received or didn't receive, the weather. Yeah, absolutely. Everything. And, um, he did remember the Jif and the Ritz crackers from Pittsburgh. Which Jif and the Ritz. Yep, so... But um, I found out something very interesting. The Knoxville TV station did an interview with him later in the day. And I found this very intriguing. People, when they come up to him now, they don't want to ask questions. And he's more than willing to answer questions. And then he, uh, he says, oh, they just want to tell me stories, which is really amazing. So Beautiful. But yeah. But wait, there's more. Oh. So that was Saturday. Yes. Um, Sunday, I stayed uh, because they had a Q&A session. Mickey and Mike. Mickey and Mike had a Q&A session, and they actually took questions from the audience. It wasn't one of these plays where one of these lame interviewers asked the same lame questions as always. So, uh, I asked about all of your toys. Um, They thought it had the ability to be a hit, and uh, Nez talked about, they kind of went around it because I don't think they had the memories at that point, but Nez did a wonderful tribute to Bill Martin, the guy who wrote the, the song. And it was really nice to get them to answer the question now. Uh, after that, oh yes, before I forget, the, more, the most important thing. Uh, I found, I got some great new friends. I finally got to meet Doug Hubler and his wonderful daughter, Tara. That's right. Madeline Horvath. Uh, um, there were two new ladies. Um, Sherry, uh, Sherry Mabry and her, and her significant other, James, were there, was there. Excellent. Other, and I met, um, I gotta remember here. Uh, what is her name? She, uh, she came from New York and she's, uh, she was very, very, uh, shy. And I'll remember it in a minute. Hey, not Madeline, uh, I'll, I'll, I will give you her name to have you edited in there right. later. So, and, uh, we became friends, we talked a lot. And, uh, Marianne McVicker, if you're still listening, I'm really sorry. I was, uh, I should explain. What'd you do? No, I, Marianne McVicker is a very cool young lady from uh, Ontario. And she, I met her at Pittsburgh last year. And at the time I saw her, I had been gone, I was going on uh, 15 hours with no food, very little water. So I was starting to walk off the ground a little bit. These wacky diets you kids engage in. But yeah, no, the only thing I had, I stopped in Shelby and got some Chick-fil-A. Mike didn't share his GIF with you? No, Mike didn't share. No, Mike, he, he didn't have the GIF with him. Uh-huh. So, That's what he told you. But I was kind of loopy at the time. 
And you, I, Loopy? Yes. Mm. And I ran up to her and I hugged her tight and I was just so happy to see her because I, you know. So, and it caused her to unfriend me on Facebook and this and the other, but that's fine. Marianne, if you're listening, I apologize. It was just the fact that I was, I was uh, buzzed without the actual, uh, I was really lightheaded. You were nutrition deprived. That's right. So, um, but it, it was great to meet all the people I met up there. And of course, Jody and Christy Goodwin, um, and all the, uh, some of the people from Video, uh, Video Ranch, but uh, it was really cool. And I drove back that afternoon. <laughs> uh, for those of you that are familiar with White Castle, the hamburger play, the hamburger chain up north, uh, there's a similar chain in this in, in the south called Crystal Burgers with a K. Now they used to have them in Charlotte, they don't have them anymore. So I, I saw a crystal and I bought a 10 pack just to eat on the way home. I ate eight of them. Wow. While I was getting driving on the expressway. So yeah, that was other than that, it was very nice. I had a very nice hotel. Uh, I actually did not fall asleep and miss out on everything like I did at Pittsburgh. But uh, the con was pretty cool. Um, there were a lot of people there. Uh, Tony Down, Jerry Mathers, um, a lot of pro wrestlers. Oh, yes. good lord, I, I, yes. Forgot the whole, I forgot the, mo- the other important story. Yes. Um, so, one of the, art- the voice artists, that were, they had Gray Delisle and a few other voice artists, but one of the voice artists that was there as a guest was Alan Oppenheimer. Hi. Hello. This is our this is our waitress, Allie. Hi, everybody. <laughs> She's doing a great job. That's right. Oh, y'all are great. Hey, yeah, I'm not. I'm, I'm still eating. So, um, that's it. Okay. Um, so, um, for those of you that are old enough to remember, uh, Alan Oppenheimer was Dr. Rudy Wells on the Six Million Dollar Man with Lee Majors. But for those of you that are younger, you will know Alan Oppenheimer is the voice of Skeletor. From the He-Man cartoons. And so many other things. So many other things. Now, Alan Oppenheimer is 89 years old. So I go over to him, and being an old-time radio show fanatic, I start talking to him about old-time radio. And he saw the drum head. And he, he got up and said, you know, hey, you, th- you suppose Michael Nesmith's busy? I was a good friend of his producer, Bob Rafelson. I said, hell, let's go find out. So I'm walking over with Alan. Here I am with Skeletor, walking with him. Got him, he went right up to Nez, introduced himself, and he says, Michael, my name is Alan Oppenheimer. I don't know if you know this. Alan Oppenheimer, of course I know you. So they have a nice little conversation. So on the way over there, Alan and I are talking about uh, old-time radio shows. And on the way back, we start doing uh, voices from a show called Alan's Alley, which was Fred Allen, the great, the great comedian from the 1940s over in Boston. <laughs> and so... I'm, I'm, we're doing that, and he says, I can't, boy, you are good at what you, you're good at, no, so, so I shook his hand, took a selfie with him, started walking away, holy crap, I just did voices with Skeletor! Now so, wait, yeah. all I'm thinking is, he mentioned he knew Bob Rafelson, and you didn't ask him for an interview? He knew Bob Rafelson. You have to remember at the time, I was giddy. No food, yes. Yes. It's yeah. not like we can't contact him. We, yeah. He's very so, visible. He does a lot of conventions. Oh, yeah. So, but uh, speaking of Bob Rafelson, we'll get to that in a few minutes. Okay. But, uh, yeah, that was the trip to Knoxville. It was a lot of fun. Um, and uh, Fanboy Expo is going to play uh, uh, another role next year. I in think Orlando. Uh, I saw that. That would be something that the wonderful Jody Ritson will be bringing forth in just a little while. So. Filling you in on all of the latest details. All the news it is, news across the nation, around the scene of the Super Bowl. Oh, sorry. Yeah. 
Hal's. Hal's by you. <laughs> Wait a minute. That's another. You... Yes. Al? What? Al? Yes. What? Al? Who? I didn't do it. You're teasing. You're teasing the audience. That's right. Because that has another significance. Over. It does. All right. And let's use that as a segue right now. Okay, so now that we've got Knoxville out of the way, Knoxville in the rearview mirror, as it were, um, I want to start a topic of discussion that's going to hopefully spread out over a number of episodes with a number of different people chiming in on it. Now, um, you and I discussed this now. When I broached this topic with you, my opinion is that it's going to piss a lot of the pearl clutchers off. Yes. For reasons that, and now, let me make it clear. This isn't about Davy smoking again, is no, it? No, this is not about Davy smoking. <laughs> we understand that there is a segment of the fan base that the only thing they do is they recognize them as Monkey Davy, Monkey Michael, Monkey, Monkey Mike, Monkey Mickey, Monkey Peter. And when you start talking about them as human beings, when you start talking about them as any other entities other than those four guys in their 20s at living on Beechwood Avenue right. in the beach, is trying to struggle to make it, that they get offended. Well, I'm sorry. I'll, I'll apologize ahead of time. This is my idea. I'm the one that came up with this topic. So if you want to hate mail, hit me, not Al. Um, Again, that's but, Alan speaking. That's right. But... One of the things that sets us apart, I think, from this, uh, from other podcasts, is that we talk about topics that we as fans want to know about. We just don't, we just, we just don't talk about the music or the TV show or just review things. The deep cuts, man. That's right. We go deep, deep. But oh man. And this, this particular topic is having to do with after the Monkees came back from the 1967 tour, they were at the peak of their popularity and out of control I think would be a or hard to handle would be a an appropriate term to just to describe the, the guys as an, as the monkeys at that time would you agree sure they just finished partying with the Beatles and mm-hmm. uh, we're playing their own Rock instruments royalty, yeah so we're getting some critical attention yep they so, were feeling their oats that's right and when they came back that that attitude that had been that had been building up from this uh, during the '67 tour kind of spilled over into the second season of the television show. And as we all know, as the season went on, the attitudes got worse, the episodes got worse, and it eventually led to the cancellation of the second season. And eventually, for all intents and purposes, scuttled the project. So what we hope to do is starting with this particular interview that we're going to do. Uh, we're going to present to you. We're going to try to bring people on board that were there. Other than Mike, it's not fair to engage Mike and Mickey in this because, as Mike says, his memories are anarchic. He's not going to remember some of the things. He's only going to remember things on the positive side. Plus, like he's always said, he was on the inside of the hurricane. Yeah, he was in the eye of the hurricane, so there's no way he could really see what other people saw. So, But we hope to continue this discussion and... Um, to get your input, do you are, are you in agreement with me that this attitude was really the death? That the '67 tour pretty much was the zenith of the of the monkeys' popularity, oh, yeah. and then, as Peter said in uh, the Monkeys Take Manhattan, it's all downhill from here. Well, it wasn't so much their attitude, but the writers too were getting bored with the format. Um, 
they were trying to also cultivate a certain feel in that second season, which just wasn't the same old, oh my gosh, Davey accidentally stole the secret apple and the bad guys are after us. They were trying to, mm-hmm. be, we now call that meta, where there's layers of yeah. meaning. So it wasn't just the guys having big and, heads. And I agree with that. I think the writers continue to think of it as just a traditional situation comedy, mm-hmm. rather than getting the you know, getting involved or, or mo- modifying their approach to take in the guys were uh, not just the same old, the monkeys saved the world. And we have to remember, too, the glue was dissolving. Absolutely. A lot of that glue dissolved right after headquarters was made and they had that out of their system. But also, like they said, we thought the world would come to us going, my God, monkeys play their own instruments. And that didn't happen. And they're well, like, well, what know, do we do now and why bother? Well, see, the thing of it is, is they were, uh, they were eclipsed by another fake group at the time. But they had a month or two there where... Well, yeah, except a week after that, another fake group. Well, not quite a week, but yeah, longer. No, I think it was only. It came out that fake group band, that fake group album came out Mm -hmm. one to two weeks after headquarters did, and then the rest is they say is it's directing. But but they by the way that by the way that fake group we're talking about is a group called Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club. You had two albums competing. One is one was a fake group trying to be a real band, the Monkees. The other was a real group trying to be a fake group. On Sgt. Pepper. Mm-hmm. The Beatles being Sgt. Pepper. But you know, I, No, you but know. that was part of it. You know, I didn't realize that until about ten years ago where Peter and some of the others said we thought it's gonna be a whole different world and no one cared. Yeah. Because the teeny boppers didn't care. Yeah. The older people, the serious music uh, aficionados, they, they didn't care about the monkeys. They no, weren't they, going to. They were ingesting pet sounds in, in Sgt. Pepper and So they felt like why bother? Yeah. And you say, well, that's the best we can do. If it ain't going to do, then, you know, we're... And you'll hear more about this attitude and what's coming up from our guest. That's right. So, um... About the glue dissolving and everybody going there. Hey, Al, I I, I have this whole thing written up, so there's an introduction and everything. Okay. Hey, Al, see that button over there? What button? That button right there. Who's got the button? That's right, button, button. Nah, the, the, the blue button. The blue button right here. Mash that button. Like this? All right, well, Al, since we're getting ready to talk about this great subject that we've come up with, it's time to welcome our first guest. Now, as a kid of the 60s, I grew up on the Boss Jocks, so when I get a chance to interview one of the greatest Boss Jocks of all time to talk about his role on (laughs) the Monkey's Some Like It Lukewarm and being a former member of the broadcast fraternity, you can imagine my pulse is jumping right now. So, ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, I am thrilled to welcome to the Texas Prairie Chicken Home Companion Monkeys podcast, still out there on the road to rock the house tonight, Thursday. I welcome the gear with a heater, the incomparable Jerry Blavitt. Jerry, thank you for welcome to the family, and thanks for taking a couple of minutes with us. Listen, you're my main man, Pots and Pans. I may be the boss with the hot sauce, but you're the man with the monkey plan to make everybody know what happened with the monkeys in this land. I love it. Listen, uh, before we get started with the topic, how did you manage to land this role on Some Like It Lukewarm? Well, I'll tell you what happened. I I was doing a syndicated show out of Philadelphia called Jerry's Place. Uh, uh, It really was an unusual show because I did not wear a suit and tie. Uh, I danced with the kids and all of the artists like Marvin Gaye. And the Temps and the Supremes, they all would come on. They were not lip sync. Most TV shows lip sync. So the show was bought in L.A. by KTOA on a Sunday. And 
hot TV show. And they flew me out there to uh, some personal appearances at the record places. And Connie Kirshner, who, as you know, did all the music for the monkeys with screen gems, said, hey, man, you got to see the Geeter. So the producer and said, we want to use this guy. I mean, he's of action. So they sent me the script. I went back to Philly. They sent me the script. Flew out. And it's interesting, my pal, because they messed up the shoot time. So when I got out there, the limo picked me up immediately and ran me into a wardrobe. I didn't get any chance to say, come on, we're shooting a show already. You know, you're on. So I had read the script, and I'm a guy that when I, I, I don't like to read teleprompter. I, I, I read and I memorize things. So my name was supposed to be Mr. Arnold. And when I got on it, they were... I first meet Davey, and he's dressed as a girl. And I'm thrown into the scene, and I the director says, Okay, you know your line, Jeff? My man. Pots and pans. My man, you're beautiful. You're the greatest thing. This is a gear. The big boss for the big hot sauce. I think you're stunning. I think you're marvelous. Cut. Hold it. He says to the script kid next to him, is that what's in the script? And yes, yeah, sort of, but it's not the gear. He said, okay, go ahead. And we shot it, and I, and instead of me, it was the gear, the boss with the hot sauce, Jerry. And that's the way it was. <laughs> that's fantastic. Well, one of the reasons that we wanted to get you on here is because this topic that we're discussing is after the 67 tour, the guys have toured the world. They come back. Uh, they're at the height of monkey mania. And I'm willing to call a spade to spade. Their egos were just a little inflated, shall we say. <laughs> and we talk about how though we're trying to learn how those attitudes kind of caused the television show in the second season to self-destruct and you being on uh some like it lukewarm being one of yes, the later yeah I, I got it. well let me yeah I, yeah yeah i got go it. ahead well I, I can tell you i definitely saw that they did not get along with each other after we would shoot all right and take a break they would go their different ways davy who as you know was a little actor living at the beginning you know, England really was very, very warm, uh, and for some reason took a real liking to me, and would spend a little time with me. Uh, but Peter and Mickey, and you know the other guys, they just fuck each other. Except when they were shooting the scenes, they went their separate ways. I, 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 I sort of sensed that there was something happening. There wasn't the closeness. And I think that happened with the success that they had. And I think you sort of said maybe egos, who thinks? Because, you know, look, musically, they were created, as you know. I mean, they weren't really, let's say, like the Beatles or the Young Rascals who all played instruments and were music kids from the very beginning. You know, uh, you know, Mickey was doing one thing, and Circus Boy, I believe, right? And, and you know... Uh, Actually, Davey, because of his Broadway, his, his background in England with Oliver musically, uh, you know, uh, Mike, you know, uh, and Peter. So they're definitely 
something that I noticed that wasn't like a camarada, you know? Sure. So. Did Now, you, you say that it did not bleed. You said everything was fine when they were shooting, so there wasn't any – because we've yeah. all seen we've all seen certain clips where they're all they're just screwing around and then the legendary Hans Conrad uttered I hate these bleeping kids line and it just seemed like they were they didn't want to be there. Did you get a sense of that or do you think they were just going through the mo- they were being I, I, professional? Listen, I, no, no, I, I got it. I, I saw that they when they had to do things other than what they were doing for the script, they wanted to get out of there right away, go separate ways. I saw that. Because I, I took Davey to dinner. I took him, you know, my friend was Frank Sinatra, and I took him to the Scholars out there. And Dean Martin, because, you know, Dean Martin's daughter was in that also. I was you coming know, to Dina, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, yeah. and, uh, you know, Dean was a dear friend of mine, because I was Sammy Davis' best man. As a matter of fact, I, Jimmy, he lived at 1050 Benedict Canyon. Uh, Davey took a a liking to me because of the fact I had a lot of show business friends that were like the real deal. Factory. And that was like the spot, the night spot. And I'd see Paul Newman, who I knew from Sammy Davis. Uh, I saw Lou Adler, uh, record guys, and they all knew the Geeter. So he was like, like with his little English accent, I all know you. I said, well, I've been a dish jockey since since dirt was found, you know, like I said, and uh, that's it. I mean, you know, but out of all of them, he was the best. Well, you brought up Dina Martin, who we're also looking to get on to talk about this episode. Um, talk about a little. Do you have some favorite scenes that you remember from the the filming of that show while you were there? Well, the favorite scene is when I. In the script, I find out that, you know, that Tina is, is, is not a boy, she's a girl. <laughs> and Davey is, is not a girl, he's a boy. And it was almost like the real deal on Some Like It Hot, you know. <laughs> Tony Curtis Indeed. finds that, right, right. Joey Brown says, oh, you know, I still love you. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it really it was really hilarious. And I got to tell you, I had lived. That whole script. So what you saw was me ad living, and the director loved it. <laughs> and, and it's funny you, know? you should, and, and that's I, I, that truly your personality because that is the Geeter in a nutshell in that episode. It really is. So, but uh, it's funny <laughs> you, you you mentioned ad living. Uh, last year we talked to the great uh, character actor Ron Masak, who was in, who played the uh, the Dracula like uh-huh. character in the Monkey Monstrous Monkey Mash. He said the same thing, and he and I were ad-libbing lines back and forth. It was a lot of fun, but and I can't, I can't see. I'm glad that the director went with that because I just can't see you assuming another role. Not to say that you couldn't do it, but I mean that just it, you were just you. You had to be you. Well, I mean, Mr. Arnold, <laughs> you know the the. Uh, but I, I saw Mr. Arnold as a little too stiff. I mean, I mean, I played it like I re- like I really fell in love with with, with the character that was the female character, oh. baby. You know, I never got laid. Right? Sad, I'm going to get laid. 
Yeah, I know. It's like we need to talk about that because you know you compare Dina against Davy and Drag. Yeah, I'm going to kind of lean toward Dina. She was she's a beautiful woman. She always has been. So, um, I want to shift for just a minute to talk uh, from the radio perspective. Um, we know how uh-huh. big Monkey Mania was in LA. How big was Monkey Mania in Philly? You know, I don't know how big it really was. You know, uh, you know. First of all, with me, my thing was rhythm and blues. You know, and real soul and rock and roll. Uh, give me your take on what you think. Well. I tend to think it was much bigger in the the West Coast and in the Northeast, but not necessarily Philadelphia, because Philadelphia, oh. you, you know, the Philadelphia residents are are you are you a unique animal, all your all their own. All you have to do is look at an Eagles game. So it's like, <laughs> right? You know, I mean, it's 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 Philly is it's really a unique town, sports, music wise. There are records that I busted in Philadelphia that played on the West Coast. Uh, and there, there are records that happened on the West Coast that never happened in Philadelphia or New York City. You know, New, New, you know, New York and Philly was more of a hip, real quick town. Uh, when I went out to L.A., I, it, it was boring. I mean, four o'clock, the streets are closed. At, at one thirty, they got to take the drink off the bar. Where are you going to go to a Hamburger Haven or what the hell is that called? Really? Yeah, <laughs> that's the place. You know, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and uh, we, you know, it, it was completely different. It wasn't that big on the East Coast, you know. I understand. Now, it's an interesting I, question. Okay. But um, now, yeah, this is from this is from a radio standpoint. Now, I know you're an R and B guy. You're you're you are the Geeter with soul. I, I've I've listened to you. I yeah, Geeter Gold is. Is a cool place to go, and we'll talk about that in a minute. I'll let you plug everything in a minute. But from the the first two albums that Kirshner had, you know, they're slick pop songs. They're good pop songs because of the writing and the production. Did you have – did yeah. when the guys decided to do the third and fourth albums, did that change your opinion of the Monkees' music at all and them as, as, a, uh, as, a, as, a band, as a band, if you will? Uh, musically, the Monkees' music to me – was basically a bubblegum sound to me, all right? They did some very hip, really good things. But it was like the English invasion. That, to me, was bubblegum. I never played Hermit's Hermit, State Park 5, and it's interesting note that I really never played the Beatles either. I was playing the 10th Smokey Robinson, Little Richard, Fat Domino. I was into all of that. What happened is that the TV show really gave the monkeys the career in music. Absolutely. Because without that TV show, I don't know if the music could have ever gotten really played. You know, it's like Ricky Nelson. Ricky Nelson became a star because of the TV show and then signed with Imperial Records. So automatically, anything that he made traveling man or you know anything that he made was a hit because of the tv show and it was played on tv absolutely and that's what there's the why, difference yeah yeah we, we that's why we talk about it because the bringing the they basically killed the goose that laid the golden egg but once the tv show got canceled because you saw 
you know, after after Pleasant Valley Sunday, their biggest hit was number 19 in D.W. Washburn, which was an old coaster song. And just it just right, exactly. there. So, all right. So I'm going to let I'm going to I know you're driving to a gig, so I'm going to let you focus on the road. So but please tell our audience what the Geeters up to lately. I know you're still out there rocking and rolling. I know you you told me uh, yesterday <laughs> that we're, you're going, you've got the incredible. Uh, now, Mickey has done the ha- uh, the uh, the flower power cruise a couple of times but this one is the malt shot memories cruise (laughs) yeah this is our 10th year and it features every one of the great artists from the 50s and the 60s frankie valley this one has Smokey robinson it's got the beach boys it's got gary u.s bonds it's got ronnie specter it's got shirley of the shirelles uh it's the real roots of rock and roll, and rhythm blues, which basically was in the 50s. Now, the Flower Power Cruise, which these people also run, is a different cruise with basically the music of that era. More West Coast, by the way. You know, with the mamas and the papas and all of that, you know, uh, uh, you know, friends of distinction and things of that nature. So there is such a wide audience for this music today because, in my opinion, there is really no music like the music or the storyline that we had when we were kids growing up. Music spoke for the things that you felt. You identified with the lyric. You identified at the time. And you identified who you were going with. And musically, me, I began as a dancer, so I played rock and roll because I danced, you see. And, you know, it it was a wonderful time. And these cruises are completely sold out. Uh, As a matter of fact, i got to tell you, my pal, I wrote a book called You Only Rock Once. I would like you, if you can, to read this book. It's how I began as a dancer on bandstand at 13, then became Don Rickles' valet, and then became Sammy Davis's best man, and then found a group called Danny and the Juniors with a number one record called At the Hop, Mm -hmm. and how I started to do dances, and how I became a disc jockey. I never intended to be a disc jockey. I always intended to be an entertainer, a performer. And the book tells you how it all began. I came from a broken home. I was raised by nuns. But music was always a part of my life. Well, and that I, I will check that out. You, o- you only rock once. I will definitely. Uh, by the way, you can't mention Danny and the Juniors without also mentioning I Wonder Why. So that's 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 my favorite song from them. Oh, what, Dion of the Belmont? Yeah. Don't know why I love you. Don't know why I care. So, so tell everybody what your website is, because I know you're doing syndicated uh, uh, still. So it, well, it's... We, we, we're all over the place, yeah. 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 You know, we're, we, we're Gator Gold Radio. You can get on the Internet, GatorGold.net. Uh, I mean, uh, uh, you know, the, by the way, the book is now being made into a screenplay. Martin Scorsese said the book <laughs> is a between Mad Men and Sopranos. So, <laughs> oh, I, you'll love what, it. <laughs> I, I bet I will. So, But uh, listen, yeah. I want to thank you so very much for your time. We have been speaking with the legendary Geeter with the Heater, a man who uh, – I'm in Charlotte, North Carolina, so I grew up with Jack Gale at Big Ways down here. And oh, yeah. He was the yeah, one that yeah, – he yeah, was the yeah. one that – that got, wanted me to, that got me to want to be into radio, and I'm, I'm happy to say I got to do it for a while. But yeah. the fact that you are still out there rocking and making people happy and sharing the great music of the 50s and the 60s, because you said it yourself, 
doo-wop especially. I mean, you can talk about elation. You can talk about joy. You can talk about heartbreak. You can talk about yeah. cheating. You yeah. can talk about yeah. it's it. Yeah. It's the yeah. music of our life. Yeah. So. No question about it. Remember, listen, you got to keep on rocking. You got to keep on rocking, young man, because you only rock once. <laughs> Geeter, thank you so much for taking the time. We are proud to have you in the family. Drive safe and enjoy the Malt and Chop Memories cruise, my friend. And listen, have a happy holiday, okay, my pals? Coming up. Same to you, my friend. Drive safe. Well, there he was, the Gator really here, the boss with the hot sauce, still rocking it today, man. He is, he's, he's awesome. You, know you mean you're not going to use this as an opportunity to morph into the other guy? No, you're over that. You've been taking your medicine, remember? <coughs> oh, oh, what? Oh, Alan. 321KSJ Jets at time with a real fake Don Steele here. Al Bigley, I understand you have some comments about that interview with the Gator really here, monkeys! <sighs> you forgot your pills today, didn't you? Yeah. Okay, while well, he calms, calms down... Um, I thought this was a great interview, and uh, Alan did a great job. It's it's weird to think when you hear him talk about he wasn't really into the monkeys. Mm-hmm. This guy is, what, 10 years older than the, than the yeah. group? So, of course, he's 15 when rock is first happening. Sure. And the doo-wop sounds are big. So, of course, he's not going to think much of what was happening at the time. And, and, and the fact that he pointed out, because I asked him, you know, what was monkey mania like in Philly? Mm-hmm. And... It really was more of a West Coast, Midwest, Southern kind of thing. Right. Because, I mean, we're talking about he's he is so deeply deeply rooted in R and B, right? And Motown and that kind of thing. So, and it's all great stuff. But it was interesting that, of course, Davy would gravitate toward him because Davy wasn't of that period. He wasn't the rock and roll. No, he was right. a Broadway set. Right. I, and I did not know he was uh, Jerry Sammy Davis Jr. Mm. One of my favorite heroes. So I grew up in the early 70s in New Jersey where everything was piped in from Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. You know, we got the Flyers and the Eagles and WFIL. And, you know, at that time, too, we were getting the, quote, Philadelphia sound, the new soul and funk sound that was coming out of it. I beg your pardon. And this ties into the Monkees. Around 1972, WFIL-FM. Put out a Sounds of the 60s album, which was just a compilation with, you know, some Mamas and Papas. Mamas and Papas, um, the Cufflinks. And I got it just because it had had that on. And I got it just because it had Daydream Believer. Um, So I don't know how that ties in. I guess Monkeys, Philadelphia, Jerry, you know. Well, you know, but the same thing. And there's the Monkey time with the Cufflinks. Yep. Ron Dante. Our buddy, buddy Ron Dante. Ron Dante. Was the voice of the Archies. The Archies, right. Oh, yeah. Uh, sidebar. For those of you that remember the Archies and remember more than Sugar Sugar. You're bloody old. You're bloody old. There is a, uh, a diner right next to where Al and I are broadcasting uh, recording from that we go over there and we talk because it's southern food. And they have, it's got to be music. Yeah. Uh, some kind of music. Yeah. All of a sudden, one day I hear this. Wham Bam Shangalang, which is the Archie's Coming other, from the kitchen. Coming from the kitchen, yeah, and pots and pans, but um, that was, uh, I, went, I looked down and went, it's the freaking Archie's other song, what the hell? They play some deep cuts over there. They do. So. You stop eating and, and, you're, and you go, is that, uh, is that what I think it is? Is that the flip side of, oh, yeah. that's the way I like it? Yeah, really. 
Well, yeah, uh, sidebar. All right, so enough of the, enough of the distracting sidebars. So. But what a great interview, and it sounds like you remember us a great deal and have a good time. Oh, he's as sharp as a tack. Oh, he is. Yeah, and he's still out there. It's like, Cousin Brucey is still out there rocking and rolling on his seven series. I think. The Dieter is out every weekend almost. He's at, and uh, I think he was, he was happy that I brought the malt shot memories. Although, right. uh, yes, he did catch me in a, he did catch me in a, in a school. Mm -hmm. Uh, he mentioned uh, Danny and the Juniors, mm. and I went. And I said, "I wonder." I mentioned the song. I wonder why, which is truly Deanna and the Belmonts, which DJ B and H covered in the '70s yep. in their yeah. live shows. And the uh, see how we tie it in. That's right. Wrap it up all in a nice little boat. But the song I should have remembered was "Rock and Roll Is Here to Stay." Rock and Roll Is Here to Stay. Boom, 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 boom. Yeah. And it was kind of, um, kind of sad to hear about. Uh, what he experienced on the set with the guys kind of in their own worlds. But like we just discussed, that by that time... They didn't care. And they were kind of uh, in their own worlds. And it's the same thing, you know, uh, somebody posted, I think it was in Zilch, I'm not sure if it was Fred, but somebody posted, I think in Zilch or Headquarters or something like that, picture stills from the uh, uh, the Laugh-In episodes that they did in 69. Mm. It was me. Oh, it was you. It was me. I was watching some Laugh-In on uh, one of the many streaming channels I can't keep up anymore. And it's, it's amazing to me just how not there Nez is at that point. You know, it's like, how, because he's got the beard, he's got... The nudie suit. Yeah, and he's just going through the most. I got good news and bad news. It's like... I, I hear mean, he was, a lot he, of S's in Mississippi. He was okay in the Grand Canyon Good Time. He was eh on The Tonight Show. Um, there's no, unfortunately, there's no video footage of Hollywood Square, so we can't really see how it was during that time. Yet. Yeah. Never say never. No, I'm sure Andrew will find it if it's out there. Oh, yeah. It's in someone's garage underneath the, uh, the tire jack and the yeah. uh, winter clothes from 1972. Yeah. And then you get to laughing. Laughing's really the last TV thing that they did together, and it's just, you see, he's just ready to get this over with. And, you know, it, it, it's Mickey and Dave, you're out there still mildly, you know, plugging along. Bravely. Bravely. Well, Alan, thank you for this great interview with one of the guest stars of Some Like It Lukewarm. Yep. Um, hopefully, some of the people that I hope to have on here that I've reached out to that i got to keep pounding on doors, uh, Dina Martin, who is also in Some Like It Lukewarm. That's right. Donna Lauren, who is in Everywhere But Everywhere Chic Chic. Right. And also a guest star on Batman. That's right. Now, we've already gotten Valerie's opinion on it. Right. And, like, say, she was... As, as she's lovely and she was always gracious and very oh, yes. very supportive of the guys and we understand that and, and that's, that's great um, there are the one Treva Silverman is the ultimate goal mm. now uh, for those any of you that out there I can use help you sure can yeah not that kind of thing mm. okay uh, Peristachtieris I have not had a chance to get back to you uh, do you still, by chance, have any contact information? Did you find that contact information for Monty? Uh, second of all, um, I am this. This is I don't know that I'm going to get them, but these are the people who I'm trying to reach out to for this uh, series. Paul and Ringo. Uh, no, I'm trying to reach uh, Sean and uh, Julian, but uh, no. Um, the time has come. The time has come. To eat our pizza backward. Right. I do oh, it in a second. But um, I'm trying very hard to find Renda Stewart. I know she lives in Maine. Right. I know her and Hallie live close together. Remotely close, fairly close together. Right. 
uh, but I had Trevis Silverman, um, Stuart Margolin, who was on Watch Their Feet. Um, and the Rockford Files, and many other things. Uh, Dave Draper, who was in 98 Pound Weekly. Bulk. Uh, yep. And um, I don't think Nita Talbot is still alive mm. from Watch Their Feet. Joy Harmon from Monkeys to Wheel. You know you're giving our competitors a jump on these interview subjects. No, we're all one big family. That right. was just a joke. That's just right. a joke. No letters, please, Let's Ken. See. Calm down, Ken. But the one guy that we missed, one guy we missed out on, and that's Rip. Yes, he was on our list. Yep, he was, uh, but uh, on our minds. Oh, and the the other one, John C. Anderson. Yep. The assistant director. So, if anybody out there, whether it's Zilch, whether it's Paris, uh, whether it's anybody, Fred, if you've got information on how to contact these people. Please shoot me a message through the group page or add me on Facebook and you get from there. So, but it would really help us make this series snap because, like I say, to get Treva and to get John C. Anderson and, you know, some of these people that, and especially Monty. Oh, yes. So, Monty Landis. Yeah, so, we have every reason to believe he's still alive. Mm-hmm. So, but any help that any of you guys out there could give would be greatly appreciated. So, you know, Alan, it's a real shame that you've already used up your daily metamorphosis into the... Oh, wait. wait. Another one? Again? Great 21 KSJ Jets, the time of the real fake Don Steele. Is it that time again on the Texas Parade Chicken Home Companion Monkeys podcast, Al Bigley, for another fantastic Monkeys remix? Monkeys! That's right, Don. This time we're going to focus on my remix of Steam Engine. Ooh. Now, for years, a lot of us fans have had the mono track on cassette, on CD, we've traded it, we've swapped it. Rhino's put out a few... Monkey Business! Version, yeah, back pages of Monkey Business. Rhino, no, no, I mean the Monkey Business, uh, the Monkey Business picture disc. That wasn't a... That wasn't a uh, uh, anyway, what I meant to say was the uh, vocalist backing track, mm-hmm. um, which um, fans have swapped for years, and I've always loved the song. Mm-hmm. What I did was take some of those... Uh, those uh, vocalist tracks, and I kind of expanded them, uh, added some bass. Now, these are the stereo tracks that Rhino has come up with. Mm-hmm. Laid Mickey's vocals back in, uh, added some hand claps, some drums, things like that, and just made it a longer, kind of heavier song. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but the first time you came across this was the Colex or whoever... Uh, syndicated version of the Monkeys on Tour episode. Right. In my reruns, the 70s reruns, we got almost every episode was from the summer 67 run where they replaced a lot of songs with headquarters songs. Or the six, or the, the late 69 CBS episode. No, none of those except in this episode, you're right, because I grew up thinking Steam Engine was a 67 song mm-hmm. because my version of Monkeys on Tour had this at the end. Mm-hmm. All the other episodes had the 67 songs. You know, Forget That Girl, You Told Me. But... Wasn't there some of them, some of the Colex, the, the, the syndicated episodes, I know at least one had, I, I never thought it peculiar. Not when I was growing really? up. Really? Okay, I well, didn't then. see that until the 86 reruns where they you. would surprise us with, yeah, like, okay. what, what that, is this? That's what it was. That's now, I remember looking at the end credits in the 70s and, and going, what, what, are they, what is, I never thought it peculiar. I never yeah. heard that. Or yeah. apples, peaches, mm-hmm. bananas, and bears. So it's weird that this one slipped through, because again, I grew up thinking this fits right in there. It sounds like something off of Headquarters. Mm-hmm. Yep. But always love the song. You can't get by that searing guitar bridge, that riff. And the, and the brass. 
Right. I love how I extended the end of this and I added some uh, uh, some brass of my own. If you listen carefully, you know, strap on those headphones, folks. You can hear the song actually ends with a uh, little bit of trumpet and all that good stuff. And uh, just had a good time extending it. So without further delay. 321 KSG, 10 time with the real fake Don Steel time for another Monkeys remix. That real great, cool, jamming, Chip Douglas song, Steam Engine, Monkeys!
And there it was. I hope you enjoyed it. Yes, on our Facebook page, some folks were talking about how they were used to the 86 run of the show, which yeah. did substitute a lot of those early 70s songs mm-hmm. from the Saturday morning run yep. where they popped in some changes songs and things like yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think I never thought of Peculiar was the only one that I remember because um, I hated those collects. I mean, the, yeah. those were, I'm so glad that they were stored into the original right. length in the, in the, in, in the deluxe Blu-ray set yes. because of the fact that it just... You, nothing was nothing was more frustrating than to find a monkey's episode, watch it, get ready for a scene, and boom, they cut it. They for cut commercial it for time. Now, what was funny in '86 when MTV was rerunning the show, a lot of local affiliates once again picked it up. Mm-hmm. They would cut them even further. Yeah. So I was trying to record them in my VCR. Only way to capture these back then, making sure I only got the MTV versions, and I would check those off the list. Now, in a crunch, you go ahead and record. The local syndicate, knowing it was cut to pieces. But, yeah, the card-carrying red shoes. So it's interesting how they, they did that. Now, I do remember growing up to, I think, is it the pilot episode? I mean, the actual mm-hmm. pilot episode where Davy rescues the, uh, the princess. So you mean the uh, Royal Flush. Right, which was actually the first one broadcast. Yeah. There's a scene where they, they do a romp on the beach and they're returning to the pad. And the song ends, which is either I Want to Be Free or All the King's Horses. And you can hear the last few notes of this just doesn't seem to be my day when you could tell they had the new song plastered over it and the editing was crappy and i can't remember what the song was except you'd hear that last bit of that uh, whatever what was no i think it might have been saturday's child or um no i actually must it might have been take a giant step I think it was Take a Giant Because step. I think the, that was the first two songs was Clarksville and Take a Giant And step. then they ended it and you heard a different song underneath. So it, a lot of head scratching when we were kids. There were no books about this. There was oh, no, yeah. no website, of course, no internet. Mm-hmm. So we just had to think, well, maybe they made a mistake or something. But, yeah. But that's how it goes. But, you know. So there you go. I hope you no, enjoyed right. that song. It was a great deal of fun reconstructing it and remaking it. I see. Chip was in, when Chip was interviewed by John DeMeo and Paris Dactieris on the Monkey's Hour, mm-hmm. he talked about the, they asked him what they would do, what he would do if he was to come back and produce the Monkeys today, right. Right, at that time. Right. Mid-80s. He said he would do more Chuck Berry tunes. Well, that is a Chuck Berry mm-hmm. tune with brass, mm-hmm. and and I thought it was really great. And right. It should you know it, it should have gotten airplay, but of course yeah. by that time it was persona non grata. And who? I had that for supper the other day. Persona non grata? Yeah, a little cheese, a little uh, broccoli on the side. You know, I think if I remember correctly, because I had that episode of Headquarters on tape, Chip was responding to uh, the then-new reunion effort called Pull It. And that's why he was saying... Whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't go down that road. No, but that's why Chip was saying, if I I were in charge, it would rock and not be leftover Mike Mike and the Mechanics. It it wouldn't be Britpop. Well, you got to remember, Roger Pacerian is British, so that's how it is. That's another episode for another time. Did everyone love my uh, my video I, I uh, shared on our page of Secret Heart done by, what, the original uh, group? It's such a lovely song. All right, don't, it, I'll stop. No, it, I'll stop. It, it, it took two bottles of Pepto for me to, to, to keep my lunch down after that. Anyway, <clears throat> no letters, please. But no, wait a minute, Secret Heart's one of the good songs. <clears throat> if you say so. You don't, you don't mean there's another interview? But wait, there's more. How much can our fans take? 
We're about to find out. We're about to find out. But um, it's uh, this came out of the blue, and uh, I was very shocked. And what I'll do is I'll, I've I recorded the introduction for this. Since we did with with the heater with the heater, I will let this uh, the um, the introduction speak for itself. So it's like is, a prize that comes in the cereal itself. That's right. Two, two, two rings from a crackback jocks. Okay. So that was Firestein Theater, by the way. All right. Um, but f- settle back for the next half hour. Be regaled with... St- if you thought Valerie was a great storyteller, you ain't heard nothing yet. Yeah? Hey, Al? Yes. See that blue button again? Yes. Mash it. Like this? As Al and I sat down to do our 2019 interview bucket list... Uh, other than the guys, uh, the main name at the top of the list was, of course, Bob Rafelson. I mean, you can't get any better than that. So uh, I discovered that he had a website not too long ago, sent a contact to him, and believe it or not, within 24 hours, I got a nice little response for him. Not for me, thanks. So I was <laughs> I was set to put that bucket list aside, but lo and behold, 24 hours later, I get another email, which brings us to this particular point in time. Uh, I am joined by a man who's going to give us a very unique perspective on the project, not only the old project, the original project, but the new project as well. A man who has had an illustrious career and something I just found out that I actually saw you in your second acting role uh, because I actually did pay to see fame back in the day. Uh, A man who is well known as an outstanding uh, music producer, songwriter. He wrote my favorite Madonna song, Open Your Heart. And I am thrilled to, and now he can add to his illustrious resume, interviewed by the Texas Prairie Chicken Home Companion Monkeys podcast. So with that, I'm thrilled to welcome to the family, uh, the number one son of the number one man of the Monkeys Project, Peter Rafelson. Peter, welcome to the family, and thanks for taking some time, man. Thank you so much. You're too kind. <laughs> hey, listen, it's, it, when I got your email, it took a while for the blood uh, blood pressure to ease back a little bit, So, but... Before we get started talking about the project, talk a little bit about what it was like growing up in that household with your father. It just—I can imagine there was never a dull moment every day. That's right. Uh, listen, you have to imagine me, uh, innocent child, surrounded by maybe the greatest talents of the time. And when I say that, I mean not just not just cinematically, not just politically, not just spiritually. That was a mecca in the center, in the capital, for many, many different cultures and different worlds. Uh, one day we might have Baba Ram Dass, uh We might have, um, uh, you know, the guy that, that what's his name, who, who, who did all of the um, LSD. Um, Timothy Leary. Uh, yeah, Timothy Leary. We might have... Artie Garfunkel and Jack Joan Baez and the Beatles and Bob Dylan. It was constantly this this traffic, and and through my eyes, these were just normal crowds. You know, I remember being a child and literally going downstairs to ask the Beatles to please keep it down because I had to be in school in the morning and that I needed to get a good night's sleep and could you all please quiet it down. So, it, you know, it, of course I figured out at some point that this was not normal. 
and and when the monkeys uh, actually broke up, my my parents were were out of town making a movie. Um, I think it was either Easy Rider or Five Easy Pieces, and uh, I remember a massive truck pulls up to the home. You know, eighteen wheeler full of full of instruments, and the guy gets out and goes, "We got the monkeys." Uh, equipment here what should we do with it and I was nine at the time or eight and I was just wide-eyed and said you know okay we'll just put it all in my basement and it wasn't for months later till till my parents came home that they even knew that I'd basically hijacked all the stuff and learned how to play it all myself so that just kind of gives you an example of growing up in a house where you know, was it Monday nights or Tuesday nights on NBC? You'd see the Monkees or KCOP or whatever uh, on television, and 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 the same people would be in my kitchen or or playing at my birthday parties or things that that most kids, you know, assume is um, just relatively familiar. But for me, I was seeing it both in the house and on television, and there was not a lot of distinction between those for me uh, until I sort of realized, I, you know, in all fairness, I was off the set visiting my father whenever time permitted. Mm-hmm. And I got to see, I got to see how, how Hollywood worked from very much an insider's perspective. And that was fascinating. Uh, I can I can imagine now. We know that your father is a great storyteller on the screen, but in at home, did he often tell you guys stories about him growing up? And the reason I, I'm going down there, really, I want to ask about the original concept for the show that he says he came up with as he was traveling in a folk band during his college days. Did he ever talk about that and uh, the, some of the adventures that he had growing up? Yes and no. I can tell you that there was sort of an evolving version of every story with Bob <laughs> Rafelson. Um and most of it was based on experiences that might have been, let's say, um a little bit um added to from from you know, he, he apparently played maracas in a band in Mexico, um, on a boat or something like that and that was like how he had his idea for Davy to play the maraca you know everything had some source of of background story to it uh and and bob was his whole life um an adventurer and a bit of a maverick so he definitely sought out adventure and and unique experiences uh as far uh you know, worldwide as he as he possibly could, um, maybe culminating in his his most favorite work, which to this day he feels is the most under recognized, and that was Mountains of the Moon, which is the movie about the first two white men in Africa discovering the source of the Nile, and that was sort of how he fancied himself in, in certain ways. But yes, there were stories, not so much about necessarily his past uh and it wasn't until recently in fact i i just came back from aspen when when i replied to your email i was there visiting him right after that article called the last rhino in esquire came out 
And uh, I really felt like, you know, he's 86. I wanted to get more information about these holes in my knowledge of his past. So I, I've, I've lately, it's an interesting question you ask, Alan, because lately I've actually made a, a point of of trying to, to get from the source, the horse's mouth, a little more info about about this. As far as the monkeys go, I think really that came from uh, when he and Bert were in London. Uh, or they saw Help, I think it was. Was that the first Beatles I think it was, No, movie? it was A Hard Day's Night. Hard Day's Night. Is that right? Yep. Uh, although I have heard some some monkeys fans claim, or some quote unquote critics or people who think they know about the the show say it's, it tended to be more like help during the regular uh, during the, there you go during That's the show it. then but right so so the point was they basically determined that there was nothing like that in America and that they wanted to bring that idea and 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 in in doing so it really became the first television show to ever cut uh, what is now called music videos, right? These were these were two 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 segments per show that were nothing but song and and visual, and that became almost the the pioneering of what uh, became MTV and and now uh, the the literally the standard for for the music industry. It is amazing how being and I think Maverick is the is the perfect word to describe uh, your dad. And you and I talked about the the photo that went along with the Esquire article. Here he is, 85, living in the mountains, outside either shoveling snow or uh, chopping wood with his gloves on, and then flipping off the photographer. That is the, mm-hmm. that is your father. That is how I will always remember him because, and that's where I came up with the with the Brando uh, Dean uh, Lenny Bruce comparison because he yeah. he yeah. is one of the coolest guys I have ever been on the fringe of knowing about and yeah, it's amazing. And, and Lenny Bruce and, 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 and those were his, well, Brando certainly was, and, you know, and Lenny Bruce in that sense of human, but you know, there was a whole component of, of, of revolutionary and, and, uh, uh, innovator. And, and I think a lot of that was empowered by, Bert Schneider, um, who who really uh, Bob does give a lot of credit to, enabled him to 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 go and create what 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 is now hailed as the pioneering the independent film revolution of the 70s and coming out of the 60s and very much involved in, in the socio-political and cultural revolutions um, of the late. 60s and early 70s, including um, financing the Black Panthers movement, which I grew up right in the heart of, and I could tell you all kinds of, of crazy stories about that, but uh, probably don't need to draw any additional attention to some very uh, questionable, uh, you know. Yeah, we we definitely. And, yeah, absolutely, but. But I, I will say, you know, I don't think there has there there have been collaboration collaboration teams in the past. But I think I, I can't think of one better that went together that meshed together more than Bert and Bob. And you know, the the fact that they were lifelong friends and they both had the same kind of independent spirit 
and that helped a great deal in shaping the project. Not only that, but when it came to, again, fighting the establishment, if you will, yeah, they they didn't put up with they they only put up with so much and then they bit back and and that I'm speaking of course of of the Don Kirshner situation but we'll we'll get to that in in, in a sure well that's a good point and and then subsequently um uh Steve Blauner which was the um uh, S in the Bert Bob and Steve BBS company that followed the monkeys. Now, now it's funny because we talk about establishment, and we talk about fighting, you know, the powers that be, but we also have to uh, understand that that Bert's father was the chairman Abe Schneider of Columbia, and it was really because of the fact that Bert was maybe the 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 rebel son, but also had access to the main networks and systems that allowed uh it was the perfect storm it was it was it was it was young men with the revolutionary spirit but that had access to the studios the lot system the old movie studio system the the television business and uh and easy rider of course was the 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 pinnacle of that example because because when the monkeys were pretty much over with they they made the first film with with drugs and sex and rock and roll and managed to get it out through a, a through a, a studio and that was the biggest grossing independent film of of all time so it's a, it's an interesting point you raise about you know the the establishment but it's 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 a that's double edged sword Changing it a little bit, uh, as you and I discussed, you're a year younger than I am. So we, you were at the tail end of the of the uh, Target demo. I was at the you know smack dab in the middle of it, as they said in Head, God's gift to the eight year olds. So, <laughs> what was your first? What what are your first memories about the project being you know five or six at the time that it hit? So I was actually um, seven. Well. I was October, so so yeah, maybe I, in '67 I was six. You're right, but it was my my earliest memories are of literally like riding around in the monkey mobile, and 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 literally like hanging out with the guys, and of course there were pictures always being taken, and the, you know I think I. One or two of myself from Tiger Beat magazine, just being the monkey boy in the back seat with all the guys. But you know, I, I, I literally felt that they they were family, Alan. This was this was this was a little different than than being starstruck because every birthday party, then eventually, was my parents. My mother, in particular, and all of the monkey wives and mothers were best friends. Um, I would go hang out at their homes. Uh, Laurel Canyon was sort of a mecca again for that whole hippie uh, Hollywood talent. Mickey and, and drums, and you know everybody had these great homes, and it was just like a. a I mean, the whole thing was was almost fa- a, a, like. A, a fantasy, but yes, I do recall being with them. Them being so young too. Davy, in particular, could relate to youngest children because he was shorter, smaller, um, and 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 he and Mickey were both childhood 
actors. So they always had this 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 young, almost uh, I don't know, essence of a of their childhood still present at all times. Sure. Now that and I just and I, this just popped into my head, and I'm just curious. This, this could be a very interesting urban myth. Did um, did your dad ever say to Jim Frawley, "Hey"? Why don't you stick Peter in? Yeah, because they had a number of romp scenes that had little kids on the beach, the Captain Crocodile episode where they're all chasing him. Did you ever get to participate as, a, as an actor, so to speak, in one of those romps? Uh, it's a great question. I don't recall ever being on camera except that um, I was at the concert at the Hollywood Bowl um which turned into a stampede it broke out into mayhem jimmy hendrix was brought over from england to warm up for the monkeys on tour they were playing at the hollywood bowl my family my sister myself my mom bob all arrived in a limo we watched the show and I think Mickey had taken acid or something and, and freaked out and jumped into the moat that was separating the the screaming kids from the stage. Fortunately, uh, he was coherent enough to toss the microphone before he hit the water. <laughs> right. And I think that the, the kids and, 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 and the crowd didn't know what to make of... Uh, or Jimi Hendrix, who, who 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 literally flipped off the audience when they booed him off stage. Um, not the best casting match for, not the perfect fit for the demo. But um, but I got to see Jimi Hendrix at age eight or whatever it was. I think some of that footage actually wound up in in head. So I, I was there for that. But I do recall that that when when the shit hit the fan and the, and the crowd went crazy. Um, Mickey, Mickey, you know, the show was over, and we we immediately jumped in the limo and tried to escape. And I remember being attacked by mobs and mobs of, of, of bleeding, nailed, scratching, crazy uh, young girls trying to get into the limo, thinking that it was the monkeys that was in our car. And I remember being, you know, inches away from these girls that were crying and literally like ready to kill themselves just to try to break into the limo and thinking, hmm, so that's what it takes to, to get to get a girl to want you. And that I think that may have affected my my uh, perception of what I wanted to be. And, it, it, uh, it, was at that, it was at that moment you decided, you know, this music thing might not be a bad idea down the road. Yeah, and, and, until they tipped over the limo, we literally had to like like run for our lives. I mean, it was it was mayhem, but but it was for a kid, it was fascinating. So that was the that was the earliest. Um, that, that soon thereafter, um, there were a lot of movies you made. And I I started acting very very young in in some of those and many others, and that kind of became part of my. Now, my career. Were you were you a fan of the show, and more importantly, were you a fan of the original? Right, well, I'll ask you this because we I've come to find out in the two plus years that we've done this podcast, there are two types of monkeys music fans. There are the fans that prefer the Kirshner style, slick produced first two albums, uh, 
uh, Pisces, Aquarius, Capricorns, and Jones, and then the Poolit album mm-hmm. in 87. And then there are uh, others that prefer the garage band type, you know, the, the headquarters and the justice. And then there's this one segment of us where we're all in the middle. We like it all. So were, were yeah. you, which, which music were you more of a fan of? Well, okay. So <laughs> this is a great question, Alan, because as, as, as it's become a profession of 40 years and people ask me about music, I find that I have a lot of trouble answering when the question is asked, what's your favorite band or your favorite artist, your favorite music, or this, uh, your favorite... T-? And I realize that the answer stems from songs and the song writing, and that really, really, in the case of the Monkees, defined everything. Because if you think of the writers, and you and I have talked about this already, whether it was Boyce and Hart or, or Goffin and King or Neil Diamond, or Neil Sadaka, or whoever the heck they had access to through Lester, Sill, and Screen Gems writing, and essentially Brill Building of the West Coast. That's what I'm a fan of. I'm a fan of um, recording amazing songs. And I, I, I realize now that as a child growing up and being exposed to all of this incredible music, the craft of songwriting is a lost art, and people don't really appreciate how crucial and, and how central it was to careers, to hits, to success in the industry. And part of that is because today, the process of production is made available to everybody, including um, from before there's even a song, there's production, right? Computers, keys, studios, everything's available to everyone. Um, and there's not the process of having to refine and conceive and create a, an intellectual property prior to it existing as a recording, right? I'm talking about songwriting. So the answer to your question is... Um, the, it's, it's always been about the great songs, and and uh, Matilda by Peter Tork was that the one? Um, Peter Tork saying that crazy Griselda, Griselda. I mean, for what it's worth, I remember the songs and 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 whatever style they were, whether they were comical, whether they were serious whether they were melodic, whether they were just uh, licks, you know, that's that's what influenced me the most. I, I can understand that. And, and you're right. I mean, when you talk about the comical side, you talk about Jack Keller. I believe it was Jack Keller who wrote Auntie Griselda. Uh, and then you've got Boyce and Hart throwing in Gonna Buy Me a Dog. But then you've, yep. got, the, then you've got the powerful ballad, like She. You've got Stepping Stone yep. where you can really hear Mickey angry, the anger in Mickey's voice, seeing yep. the lyrics right. And, By and, the way, I re I re recorded uh, Step and Stone. It's a funny story. I had Open Your Heart um, uh, that I was gonna. I, I recorded it and, and had it um, in one of Bob's movies called No Good Deed, and I couldn't get a pass or a yes from Warner Chapel on Madonna's portion of the rights, and it was down to the wire in 45 minutes. I mean, sorry, 45 minutes before the actual. Uh, final mix of, of the thing we had to pull it because we still didn't have rights so I threw in my version of Stepping Stone and um, that was you know quite a 
an interesting um, experience for me because I realized that um, finding a song and the rights to it um, was really the difference between it getting heard and not, right? It wasn't about how good or how bad or, or, or how easy or how cheap. It was always a combination of, of, of those uh, two things. You're absolutely the, the, right. And, and I don't, I'm sorry, I, I don't mean to interrupt, but that brings to mind the perfect storm that you talk about when the guys went into the studio and they recorded a song called All of Your Toys, which a lot of us believe could have been the single off of headquarters, but uh, it was Charles Tickner, uh, who Tickner Public wouldn't sell the publishing rights to Screen Gems. Got a, an exclusive. You will not hear that on any other podcast but ours. Wow, yeah. Peter, that's awesome. That, that was my version of Stepping Stone, and that wound up on the radio in the movie No Good Deed, directed by none other than. That must have been a big thrill for you, man. I, I... You know, it was. It, 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 it's always a thrill, but the thing is, I do, I do it so. I mean. It's exhausting to think about how much I've done. I've had over 31 number one songs. I've sold over 300 million records. And I don't mean to brag. I don't want to sound arrogant. It's just overwhelming amounts. 5,000 songs I've written and produced. That just, that, that, yeah. Uh, and, and the people that you work with, which I was going to talk about uh, before we wrapped up, it's just, it's a who's who. So, you know, when you put your name on it, that's that's a that's a guaranteed winner in my in my mind. So, well, from your lips, Alan, I I, I you know I always tell people it's never the, just the music; it's what happens with it when it's done. The work begins when the music stops, and and for me, that's that's I want to say as much. I might I might be a gifted, a lucky, a talented. I, I songwriter, but but more than anything, it's the determination to make stuff happen with it after it's finished that really I think makes it uh, have some some life. Absolutely, and and I want I do want to talk about some of the things that you've done in in, in your personal career uh, before we wrap it up. Um, getting back to the to the project for a second. As you got older and the project moved forward, like into the second year after they came back from the tour. And their attitudes had changed, and you know they had more control and everything. Did you start noticing anything different? And was your father, when he was home, talking about the the project? Did you notice a change in his? Uh, when did it? St when did you start to notice a change in his attitude toward it? Good, great question. You know, I didn't really think about it until just now. But yes, I actually did notice a difference. And what I noticed, the, the difference was that the boys started having 
individual personalities, individual styles of dressing. I mean, literally, I could now see their own homes and their own families and, 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 and make bigger and, 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 um, Mike wearing less suits and, 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 uh, Davey wearing more, you know, Renaissance looking ruffled shirts and, 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 uh, corduroy bell bottoms and polka dotted tops and the I, I I would I remember knowing them apart more. So there was something happening and, and if I in hindsight you're right, I could see how it could be A, the fact that they were in a greater position of power and maybe struggling to create an identity that they didn't really have control over as monkeys, right? Because that was the whole Kirshner commercial, millions and millions of dollars on the line. And I could see how frustrating it might be to not have commercial or creative control. Uh, you know, I'm, in hindsight, I don't think, I think that any bitterness that might have arisen from that went away. Because I think that, that, that as they continued on 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 their own years and decades later, they probably realized, you know, actually, this is why it's called the entertainment business. Mm -hmm. And when you're in your young 20s or however, how who, who was the youngest? Davies. Davey, maybe? Davey was the youngest. Yeah. Yeah, he was, yeah, by so the time, you, yeah, he was 22, maybe 23 by the time the second season. Yeah, you can imagine about how 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 much business somebody at that age knows when they're turned into a superstar. So the answer is yes, I actually did notice it more on a personal level than than anything. But there there was a lot of of dissatisfaction. I think that 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 um, you know everybody had an incredible run. And once the end was in sight, which actually wasn't the end, but the end of, of that project, as you call it, um, I think that Bert and Bob uh, were ready to move on to greener pastures. And I think that the, the boys themselves probably didn't really know what the hell they wanted to do, because how do you judge what? was based on yourselves and what was based on the machine behind you. It's hard to know that, especially at that age. And I think a lot of it, Al and I have talked about this in the past, because of the fact that they were technically cast as a television show, unlike the Beatles, they never really had a, um, a Brian Epstein-like figure once the project took off to look out for themselves. Well, actually, Steve Blanner, I believe, did become their sort of road manager. He 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 came from Bobby Darren, who he managed, and and he actually was very much almost a father figure to them in that sense. And ironically, twenty um, some odd years later, the New Monkeys was created by the second generation of the Schneiders and some of the other younger um, executive talent and Warner Brothers. Mm -hmm. And Steve Blauner became the manager and definitely father figure of all of them. 
And, um, yeah, it's really interesting because there was a lot of, uh, I want to say resentment from the older guys about the younger new monkeys. Um, and I heard some, some ugly stories, which I don't need to repeat, except that all swell that ends well. And in the end, um, especially I think after Davy's passing, the, the guys kind of, kind of realized just how, how blessed everybody was to be a part of this and somehow made peace and, uh, Hopefully, Mike, Peter, and, and Mickey um, made their peace before before Torque's death. Well, talk about some serious stories, and that's only the first half of the interview, guys. The second interview, the second part of our interview with Peter Rafelson will come up in episode twenty-six. Excellent. So, and uh, uh, Al. Yes, yes. Um, Do I got to press another button? Al, yep. uh, the back of your phone is is, is blinking. Yes. Um, hmm. oh. you, don't, you, you don't suppose it's it's that phone, sir? It's another call from our secret inside informer. Oh, I love it when she gets busy. I'm telling you, she's got some serious stuff to talk about this time. Ladies and gentlemen, the third member of our podcast team. Hello, Jody. Wow. Oh, you have got a boatload to talk about today, don't you? Um... I have some stuff. I mean, some stuff I can't talk about yet, but... Well, I know, but... Um, but, yeah, absolutely, definitely. Cool. As Al always likes to say, Jody, never say never. You've got some very great news for us this time. Okay. Well, first of all, beyond excited about the new tour. I mean, it's a new tour, but it's not a new tour. It's going to areas that uh, Mickey and Mike never went to during the previous shows, so I'm really happy that all the different places in California um, and in Vancouver, Texas has been asking a lot. I'm just very excited. Um, Nashville, that they're able to uh, do this uh, in April only. There is absolutely no discussion about East Coast dates. So I would definitely recommend get your tickets because, again, as I always say, you never know when it really is the last time. Very true, and the thing of it is, for those of us that live in the South, Nashville is it, it it's closer than we've ever gotten, you know, since the '96 or since the 2016 tour. But you know, it's it's not that far. It's only a few hours west of Knoxville. So, wow. Well, I hope that you're going to be able to finally catch one of these shows. So they're going to be doing uh, the same type of show that they did on the East Coast. But what's really cool, and I know that it wasn't something that was supposed to um, break exactly when it did, but there is a new album coming out. It is um, from the live show of the Eminem tour, and I'm so excited. So there's different um, incentives for those who purchase the tickets uh, that they will be getting the album of the Eminem tour, uh, The Monkees Present, or The Mike and Mickey Show. Uh, but uh, a lot of people are asking me when they're going to be receiving it. And my understanding is you will get it at the show. So you're not going to get it ahead of time. Uh, you will be getting it, uh, I believe, at the shows. That is incredibly awesome because, like I say, that's, this is the first legit live release since uh, Live 1967 from Rhino. So this is 
you know, this is pretty freaking awesome. I know. I'm so excited. It's also the first time that Mickey and Mike ever put on, you know, put out their own uh, record. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and those those people that have seen the show know how good it is, know how tight the band is. So, you know, it, it is it's a double edged it's a double edged win win as far as I'm concerned. Oh, I'm so excited. And I think it's probably the best selection of songs from any Monkees uh, tour I've ever personally seen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely, because you get stuff that you know, people always want the deep cuts. And it's it's amazing how deep people really want them to go in the catalog. And it's like I can just see Nez and Mickey scratching their heads. They want to hear this? <laughs> oh, isn't it crazy, right? Yep. Uh, I'm I'm still waiting for him to to one day to Mickey to put the poncho on and instead of doing Randy Scouse get break into mommy and daddy I think the crowd would absolutely lose their minds but yeah I think that might be a little too complicated I had asked Mickey before about Shorty Blackwell and he said it's just it's too much it's you know that's too crazy because I want somebody to sing at karaoke with him but I don't know that that would be good no I've. <laughs> It would be tough. It really would be because you can't get the orchestration in there because it's really. But it's a unique song. We'll put it that way. But yeah, it's they. You know, people have been posting. You know, what do you want to hear? And that's that and the other. And I'm going really wow. But uh, the fact that they're going deeper into the catalog is, is, I think, makes a lot of people very happy because we know they have to play the hits. But this is still uh, it makes it even more fun. Yeah, I'm I'm very excited. So we have right now uh, we have karaoke Mickey and I at Nelson Hall in Connecticut, in Cheshire, and they actually took the karaoke sizzle reel that's on my YouTube channel, the Jody Ritson channel. They took the sizzle reel that Mickey and I did that was shot by John Billings, and they used it as a commercial in wow. uh, Connecticut. So I'm so excited about that project. You are now a commercial producer. How about that? <laughs> I know. Oh, there you go. There, I'm a star. That's right. Well, you know, I, you, you, I love it. That's cool. So, um, one of the things I wanted to ask about was the uh, the Cosmic Partners. Uh, Nez seems to be really excited about this. Oh my gosh! I just actually spoke to him on the phone uh, about two days ago, and he was saying how excited he is. I mean. And it's such an incredible album. I'm actually more excited about the vinyl disc because it's so neat looking. They only made a thousand of the disc. Um, you know, the one is with what I call the nudie women, even though I understand it's artwork. But the um, the other side is such a cool picture of Nez. And uh, I'm just excited to put it on my wall. I don't know where I'm going to put it in the office, but I'm making a place for it because I'm so proud of this record. I'm so proud of him. And for something that was dug up from so many years ago, the quality is just incredible. I'm excited. I'm really looking forward to that. So uh, what else What else can you share with us, my dear? Um, well, we also have a big New Year's Eve party. Mickey and I are hosting a New Year's Eve party. It's for 100 people in Lambertville, New Jersey, which is right across the bridge from New Hope, Pennsylvania. Uh, right now, we only have about nine spots that are left. Uh, I just had this really cool um pin metal pin made of mickey of a photo that i took of him last year uh and i'm right now boxing up 
all these records for Nez to sign for me to frame for uh, raffles and giveaways. We always raise money for Make-A-Wish, and that's what we're doing this season. So I have so many copies of the Christmas album, the green, the red and the white one, and uh, copies of the headquarters, the clear one. I'm getting Nez to sign everything, and he's donating this stuff for the um, – for the party. Um, so I'm really excited about that. I ordered poker tables and blackjack tables and uh, roulette. And it's, I'm just very excited. Open bar, karaoke, DJ, uh, trivia. I played, I'll tell you a, a story. I played trivia against Mickey. Oh my gosh. It must be at least 13 years ago now mm-hmm. um, on television. Um NBC 10 uh, had a television show and they contacted me. They were like, we know you're the biggest Mickey Dolenz fan. I didn't know Mickey at the time. I mean, I was just, you know, whatever. And I played trivia against him on television and I lost, but they still gave me tickets to see Pippin. So I didn't really lose. (laughs) I wish that I could find that footage, but, um, oh, it was so cool. It was really cool. I think I lost to him because of the, they asked a question about the Kool-Aid and I was like, I don't know from that, you know, but it was, it was really fun television. Well, just between you and me and MD, I think this is going to be the best 60th birthday party I've ever had that I won't be at. So. Yeah, um, why are you not coming to celebrate your 60th birthday with us? Um, my best friend has other plans, so <laughs> I got to defer to her. So, Oh, it's a lady friend. Well, it's, she's been my best friend for like 18 years now, so we do, it, we, we, we do a lot together, so yeah. But, well, uh, I would like to publicly invite you and your lady friend if you would like to spend your 60th birthday party with us on New Year's Eve, you will be my guest if you would like to come to the New Year's Eve party. Wow. So you guys can talk about that, and you can always get back to me. But you do so much for the monkeys community that it's the least that I can do for you. Oh, man, Jay, that's awesome. I'll see what I can do, yeah. But uh, if I can't, you know, you could always sneak in a little video of him singing happy birthday to me, you know. But, oh, but- no problem. It's <laughs> to get you here. I'll tell you what, he called me and wished me a happy birthday. I nearly passed out. I called my husband and I said, Mickey just called me to wish me a happy birthday. And he goes, but you guys are friends. Why are you so excited? And I said, because it's Mickey Dolan's. That's why I'm never going to get sick of that. It's Mickey effing Dolan's for crying out loud. Come on. Come on, Josh. (laughs) But uh, no. This is exciting, and I I know the karaoke in Connecticut is going to go over really well. He, These things, I... I, I commend you and him both, not only for the, the work that you do for Make-A-Wish, but this may be the greatest idea you've ever had, is, is, oh. bring, is getting Mickey to the – getting Mickey involved with, with the fan base and so, such an, on such an up-close and personal basis. It's just, it's just amazing. You know, Alan, the, the real thing was that so many people would tell me what their wish was. And when Mickey tells you in the sizzle reel that we did that – I went to him and said about, you know, I always get these requests and and to sing with you. And he said, no. He said, no, several times. And I said, please just listen to me for a minute. And we tried it on the cruise just to see. And he was just amazed because it's not about how great you sing. It's that interaction. So I'm pretty excited right now um, for that. I'm so I'm.
so happy for the fans. I I cannot stress enough to you and everybody else that I don't know I don't know why, but I still remember how excited I was when I was 16 years old, or it might have been 14 years old when I met Mickey for the first time. And I get that way every single time somebody meets him, and I I just feel like that's the best gift that you can offer somebody is to meet their idol and it's really I smile I mean like I have the best job ever in fact it causes arguments in my house because my husband says you know it's not my fault you love your job because most people hate their jobs you know you know I I said so wait I'm being penalized because I'm happy (laughs) but I am so then I'm going to be now announcing we're going to be doing there's a New York show, February 21st, for Mickey. Um, it's I think it's, like, far in New York. I'm going to have the details on the Monkey Meet and Greets um, website. Um, I'm going to be doing that this week. We're going to be – I want to say it's Rochester, New York, but I'm going to find out. We'll do a meet and greet there. We're going to do two meet and greets in Sellersville, Pennsylvania, February 22nd, I think that is. Or maybe it's the 21st, and it's, whatever it is, it's going to be on. But it's definitely that weekend of the 21st, 22nd. I think that's what it is for Sellersville, Pennsylvania. And then there, the week before, there's a couple places. Um, I want to say like New Hampshire. I'm going to put it all on the website so that everybody can see. But it's places I've never actually visited before with the exception of Sellersville because I'm only 20 minutes away. Um, so it's new, it's new friends, it's new fans, it's new experiences. And, um, there's good, Mickey's going to be playing with the, with the symphony in, uh, Arizona in January. Uh, I'm excited about that one. And then, um, we have a lot of other stuff that's coming up that I can, some that I can actually talk about. We have a Comic Con that was, uh, announced fanboy which is going to be in orlando uh it's the first time it's coming to orlando and it's going to be at the Wyndham uh by the airport there and mickey and mike are both going to be there and some other special monkey-esque people are going to be announced which i'm not allowed to talk about Mm -mm. Part of the deal was that the promoter wanted the karaoke as part of his event. So I am beyond excited to be hosting that. Uh, that's going to be um, announced soon. Um, and there's some other stuff that's coming um, that I've been sworn to secrecy. Um, but I can tell you that I've been on the phone with Nez several times this week about stuff that we're putting together. And when he gets on the phone, you know it's business. <laughs> so I'm very excited. I, I, it seems like 2020 is going to be almost like a, a, a bonus anniversary year. You know, it's just it, maybe 2020 it, is the anniversary of I want to say when the pilot was shot. It's the 55th anniversary because that would have been 1965, I believe. Correct. Correct, Amundo, there, Jody. See, I'm learning, right? I'm learning my monkey trivia. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're going to be celebrating the 55th year uh, all this year. Lots of cool stuff that's coming out. And um, take me up on my offer, Alan, and come to uh, New Year's Eve and hang out with us. We'll see what we can do. And as always, 
The website is monkeymeetandgreets.com. Not with an S, but it's monkey, so, monkey well, singular. The good, the good news is that I'm so business-like these days at, that I actually have monkeysmeetandgreets.com also. So if you screw oh, it up, cool. you're still going to find me. <laughs> Look at you. You are uh, the total I'm businesswoman. Person. <laughs> well, Alan, thank you so much. Thank you to you and to Al for uh, continuing to celebrate the monkeys. We have a lot uh, of stuff coming up. I'm very excited. So am I. And you know, we just this the episode that this uh, this uh, talk of between you and I is going to be on celebrates our third anniversary with the podcast. <gasps> Congratulations. I'm yeah. so happy. Happy anniversary. And by the way, we have somebody that we're talking to that will you you won't hear it until you hear the podcast. Uh, we have the Geeter with a Heater, who is the king of Philadelphia Boss Jock Radio, Jerry Blavitt on Jerry the show. Jerry Blavitt. Yeah. So. Jerry Blavitt's a good one. I'm so excited for you. Well, you just continue to keep up the good work and a happy anniversary. Keep on rocking, Jody. We'll talk to you soon. You know, you never. I, I should listen to you from now on because. What do you always tell me? Remember to take your galoshes? No. Always cross the street with the light. Against the light? Never go on a long hike without your shoes or shoelaces. Uh, what's the, what, what's the, uh, the line you use from the James Bond movie title? Never say never, old chum. Yeah, so not only Orlando fanboy. But at least one show in Nashville. That's it. I almost soiled myself. That was pretty cool. Great news for all Monkeys fans. That's right. Well, I think we've kept them on the hook long enough, my Yes, friend. yes. So, so we just happy trade. No, As usual, we growl out, we, we bow out gracefully. I almost <laughs> yes. said growl out basefully. Growl out basefully, yes, indeed. The Texas Prairie Chicken Home Companion Monkeys podcast is a podcast dedicated to monkey, to the monkeys, for monkeys fans, by monkeys fans. It's all done with love and care for all monkeys fandom. In no way, shape, or form is there any tie or a approval or a endorsement by Mickey Dolans, Michael Nesmith, the estates of the late David Jones or Peter Tork, Rhino Records, Andrew Sandoval, 7A Records, or anything, any remotely connected to the actual Monkees family. It's all done and fun, and we hope you had fun. That's right. You know, here's to another at least three years, pal of mine. We're and, shaking hands. You can't right. see it, and but we're shaking. What a grip he's got. Again, thanks for your support. Not just listening to the podcast, but the blog page, the Facebook page. Just mm-hmm. wonderful. Yep. Uh, if you know Monkeys fans that belong to another group page that are not part of uh, our page, and you want to introduce them to the madness and the silliness that is the Texas Prairie Chicken Home Companion, tell them about the group page. Send them a link. We pretty much, uh, the only people I don't approve is people that don't have any groups or anything that looks suspicious. Right. So. If you join Facebook that day and it's a picture of a Russian supermodel, we might be a little suspicious. Yeah. Da. That is the, me. Me joined uh, me. That's me. Got face. It can't be you every time. Yeah, exactly. So everything. thanks to all the other monkeys groups. If you're not listening to Zilch, go do so now. Right after you listen to this, of course. Ken Mills, the Podfather. Thank you. All you're the rocking. fans. Oh yeah. Oh, we forgot to plug one other thing. Yeah. The Mr. Rogers tribute album. Forgot all about. Oh that. yes. Mickey Dolans has a cut on that. It is really cool. Uh, if you've a mind to make a purchase. 
do what you got to do. Uh, Christmas is coming up, so reward yourself for right. another great year of monkeys stuff. Um, I'm excited. 2020 is shaping up to be pretty damn cool. Although, yes, December is going to be real tough for me. Yeah. For those of you that don't know, uh, my birthday is New Year's Eve. I'm not going to be able to attend the New Year's Eve party in Jersey um, as much as I'd like to, but it's going to be really rough for me personally because it's the one birthday I've been afraid of. The big 4-0? No. 42? No, but you're getting warmer. Mm. 50 I didn't have a problem with. This one is going to be tough. But, so. You don't mean... I'm about to enter the eighth decade of my existence. I will have lived in the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, the 2000s, 2010s, and the 2020s, even though I will only be turning 60. My brain doesn't go that high. I, I lost you somewhere around the 60s there. Yeah, but it's like, you know. Man, what's but it the, feel like? What? I'll, I'll can, let you know when I get there. Can I touch you? Can I? But uh, for those of you uh, that uh, will be going to the Mickey's New Year's Eve party, uh, everybody sing happy birthday for me that night. I would appreciate oh, it. Oh, that's so sweet. So, until we meet again in the year 2027, because I don't that's right. That's right. Hey, you don't know, we might be able to squeeze a Christmas that's episode right. in. That's right. Uh, maybe Hanukkah? Maybe two, yeah. Um, would you believe Arbor Day? Uh, sweetest day. Um, but until we meet again. All right, Kwanzaa. All right. Kwanzaa, all right. Festivus for the rest of us. There you go. Uh, there we go. <sighs> Jerry, Jerry, Jerry. Oh, you really spiked the DU there. Yeah, really. Okay. I was like, watch the VU. VU. <laughs> VU. Thank you. Not I am DU. I'm so sorry I screwed that. I give a, I'm so sorry I screwed that up for you, man. I, I knew you knew it. Uh, I was trying to see if they knew it. This is yeah. not a pipe. Yeah. Okay. No, but it was a white mess. I got to think of a clever nickname. It's like, so. All right. Yeah. So until we meet again, I am Alan Wizard Glick, R.I.P. Rip Taylor Williams. And this is Al Magic Fingers Bigly reminding you as always to save, save the, the Texas, Texas Prairie Chicken. such as you. You are devastating. It must be the mini. It must be something about you that makes my mind crazy with love. This mind was snapped before he came in, you know that.